Gavin Riley with you on the record until one o'clock. Now, it's probably fair to say that only really the League of Ireland diehards among you might ever have heard of a man named Jimmy Hasty, but there was a time when his name was known right across this island for several reasons. Uh, Firstly, because uh, he was killed on the streets of Belfast in 1974, shot dead in an unprovoked sectarian attack. But another reason why he was well-known was because that was only 11 years after he had been the top scorer in the League of Ireland and led Dundalk on some extraordinary European adventures which have only really been surpassed in recent times, uh, made all the more impressive, Donald Fallon, by the fact that Jimmy Hasty only had one arm. It's extraordinary tale. I think we need a feel-good Irish soccer story at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and we this, could all use a little bit of uplifting, this, couldn't we? Yeah, while the, while the, while the, the death of Jimmy Hasty is so tragic, the career uh, is so inspiring and it, it's perfect for this slot. And for, for obvious reasons, all who saw him play remember him pretty vividly. Yeah, the one-armed wonder, as they call them in, in, in the Dundalk Democrat. You know, he remains one of the most respected players to ever grace a domestic Irish football pitch. And you find him popping up in, in, in great memoirs. Peter Sheridan's marvellous memoir. 44, a Dublin memoir. He talks about seeing him play. Drumcondra were playing Dundalk, Daz team versus Maz team, semi-final of the Leinster Senior Cup, Drums versus the town. I didn't care who won, I loved soccer. The only thing of any consequence was the Dundalk number nine, Jimmy Hasty. He'd only one arm. Despite his one arm, he'd great balance, he looked sharp. The home supporters were very sympathetic. Every time he touched the ball, they applauded. In the space of three minutes before half-time, he scored twice. And very few players had the same impact on crowds uh, as the man we're talking about today. I think Sheridan captured something in that. You know, the enormous goodwill uh, that existed towards this player uh, in the Irish footballing community. Mm. And I mean, today we're talking about, yes, a brilliant talent, someone who overcame so much and who was ultimately a victim uh, of the horror of the Troubles. He came from an area of Belfast uh, which is pretty rough and ready, Sailor Town. It is, Sailor Town. It's all in the name. You know, Sailor Town, is, it's a solidly working class community in the docks of Belfast. And it has its own history. I think it's very different, actually, from the rest of Belfast. Its, it's, its narrative really is about its place in the world. Docks, mm. dock workers and shipbuilders, characters like Jim Lark and Big Jim, you know, arrived there in 1907 before he ever stepped foot in Dublin. Uh, and it's all captured a very beautiful and moving 1960s play called Dockers uh, by Martin Lynch. But it's an area that really is defined by its class consciousness, its class identity. And a young Jimmy Hasty enters the workforce uh, at 14 years of age and has this awful, awful industrial accident. Yeah, which, which is obviously what leads him to, to losing one arm, which was a horrific injury, but not actually all that uncommon. Not uncommon. Young, young lads of 13, 14 go into the workforce. They're totally unprepared, unable for it. And it's this milling machine accident on his first day his in first the job, day. which is just awful. Uh, and you know things really hadn't come on much in that industry since the dangerous Victorian times of young lads are still losing limbs and for someone who loved football as passionately uh, as this young teenage boy did 14 years of age you'd be forgiven for thinking that might be the end of your footballing days I mean his Mm. left arm is amputated leaving only a short stump but in street football in Belfast remember Belfast street football is what produced Georgie Best Mm. and some great talents Jackie Blanchflower and others you know he still learns uh, to perfect his balance So tell us about his actual uh, career then uh, in the Irish League as opposed to League of Ireland he begins playing for for Newry Town Newry Town uh, you know the the Barcelona of Irish football (laughs) Irish League B division yes. team in 1959. They certainly are the Barcelona of the B division of the Irish League <laughs> in the 1950s. He scores is, twice on his debut and remains at the club from October 1959 till November of the following year. So it's a short period of time. He's there mm. basically a, a, a year yeah. and he scores 55 goals what? in that time, which is extraordinary. And football he really in the was North, the Barcelona. Sorry, I thought you were joking, but they clearly were. <laughs> 
ticky-tacking their way around everyone else in Irish League Division B. Football in the North was, I suppose, it was different then. Derry City, you know, were still playing in Northern Irish competition. Mm. Uh, but there were grim things as well. Belfast Celtic, the great green and white team of the Falls Road, had actually withdrawn from the league uh, in the late 40s because of sectarian violence and, and, and intimidation. But I think football is mostly just that. You know, football is football. Mm. And the beautiful game kind of continued apace. The troubles hadn't yet erupted. Uh, and then he comes to the attention of one man from Dundalk who didn't tell the rest of the board about what was peculiar about Mr. Hasty until he had actually been signed. He's 22 years of age when the Lily White snab him from, from Newry. And the story is that the Dundalk director, Jim Malone, he actually goes up to see him play. He can't believe what he's looking at. He scores in the game where he goes to see him. And without consulting his fellow board members, he nabs him. Uh, and, and, and brings them down and it's the absolute bewilderment of the rest of the Dundalk board yeah. who just cannot get their heads uh, around the idea of signing mm. a player uh, with one arm and then he comes on and he scores you know in his first game for Dundalk a 2-2 draw the press reports are great I mean one of the newspapers writes one of the neatest passers of the ball I have ever seen he controls the ball like a tennis ball and his passes are always low at carpet level and always accurate and there was a lovely little piece on him last year in the Irish Times Michael Walker mm. had this great little line about him. He says, judging by contemporary reports, Hasty was an unsuitable surname. Hasty was an unsuitable surname for a player of Berbatov, poise and class. That's a, a really classy little vignette there. Isn't uh, it just? And obviously, uh, aside from you know, not only his uh, his attributes on the pitch and the amount of goals that he was putting away, but also because of what was peculiar about his physique, that crowds went to follow him. In amazing everywhere. numbers. Amazing. 18 goals in 22 games his first season. Wow. It's just amazing. And wherever they're playing, you know, if it's, if it's Sligo at the showgrounds, if it's Milltown mm. against Rovers, they're coming to see him in their thousands. And the nicknames, I mean, every every journalist coins a different one. The one-armed bandit, you know, whatever you want <laughs> to call him. He's affectionately known by all these names. Mm. But he runs rings around most defences. And then his greatest moment happens undoubtedly uh, on the world yes, stage. Yes, so, so this is Dundalk's adventure in the earlier ends of the European Cup in 1963. And we've lived to see amazing things in recent years. I mean, we've had Dundalk mm. and Shamrock Rovers in the group yeah. stages of the, of, of the Europa League, which was extraordinary. And actually Dundalk progressed through the group and picked up points uh, as as they went. 1963, though, it, it's very different times. Dundalk gets Zurich. And to be honest, the European games for League of Ireland teams, they were just about putting in a good performance. Hopefully you drew someone that was big enough, you might get a nice windfall out of it on the day. Shamrock Rovers did very well. I mean, they drew against the Busby Babes yeah. and packed out Daily Man Park. And that's a fine payday for the club. Yeah. But no one really thought you'd, you'd progress. I mean, there wasn't even whispered, uh, much less spoken about. Mm. And Actually, it's, it's worth saying just for, for people who aren't uh, football followers or don't appreciate that the Champions League format of today is not what it always was. It used to just be a straightforward knockout competition over two legs. So it wasn't a case yeah. of you get Zurich and you get or grasshoppers or whoever it is and, and you get Liverpool and you get some team from Eastern Europe you just get that one team and, and it's a and, single two-legged and generally if you're an Irish team you don't get by them either mm. and that was really the tradition into the 1990s I remember St. Pat's losing 5-0 at home to Zimbru and 5-0 away uh, leading, to the great, leading to the great chant 10-0 to the refugees which haunted <laughs> us uh, in every football ground we played in that season but you know in the 60s for League of Ireland teams to progress in Europe was a distant dream yes, it was sure. never going to happen and there's 17,000 people there uh, to see Zurich defeat Dundalk 3-0 but then they go away and they, I mean the return leg is basically a formality no mm. one expects Dundalk to do it and they go 2-0 up 
Jimmy assists in the first up goal. In, in second away leg. In the away leg. Jimmy assists in the first Ooh. goal. He scores the second. And there's just absolute panic and disbelief, you know, on, on, on the Zurich bench. They just cannot believe that this has happened. They pull one back against the, the run of play and they mm. go through 4-2. But it's a stunning performance. It's the stuff of legend and it really guarantees his place uh, in club history. I think the one-handed, the one-armed uh, goal scorer would have been in club history anyway. Mm. But to go over to Zurich and do what he did there was astonishing. Yeah, and to give them a real fright in doing so. Um, it didn't work out for him though in no, the end. And I mean, his record is, is incredible. 170 games played for the dog, 103 goals scored. But, you know, fitness levels towards the end of his career were bad. and he, He's kind of let go uh, and, and, and he goes to Drogheda and plays the season there. And they actually found video footage of him playing not too long ago. Walker wrote about this in, in, in the Irish Times that in, in Switzerland, in an archive, they found this great footage. And he says, here is a player of confident calmness and in scoring Dundalk's second speed and bravery. It's great footage. There's a swagger and balance that only true talent uh, possesses. But, Footballers live two lives. I mean, they come off the pitch and they have to go and do something with themselves. Mm. He goes back to Belfast, he works in a bookies, he starts a family, and, you know, he should live out his life telling the stories of his heroics in the pubs of Sailortown. Uh, and the reason, of course, that he doesn't is because he dies, as I mentioned, in, in 1974. Tell us about his death. It's a horrible end. October 1974, he's gunned down on the streets, uh, near Dock Street. So the area he knows, inside out, like the back of his hand, you know, it's a part of him, Sailortown. And the murder is claimed by a group called the Ulster Protestant Action Group, which is basically a cover name uh, that's being used by the UVF. And at that time, the UVF campaign basically is nakedly sectarian, killing mm. off Catholics, killing off innocent Catholics, and it will cause tension in the nationalist community and force an end to the IRA campaign. So any Catholic will do. And poor Jimmy Hasty has absolutely no involvement in politics. He's a decent man, raising a family, trying to make a living post-football. Mm. And in Dundalk, people are just heartbroken when they hear this. I mean, thousands of people show up uh, at a tribute match in honour of him to raise money for his family. And in the official history of Dundalk, it's described very beautifully. It says thousands turned up reflecting the regard for one of the most popular and most exciting players to ever wear the Dundalk shirt. Dreadfully sad. Um, the troubles would, of course, make themselves felt again at Dundalk. There was something in innocent, yeah, about football in the 1960s that just wasn't there uh, in the 70s. And, and Dundalk you know, did a tragic 1970s in the sense that they lose this legendary club player and then in 79, you get this shameful day, which is the, the visit of Linfield uh, to Dundalk in European competition. Mm. And it culminates in an absolutely disgraceful riot. Dermot Keeley, uh, who played that night, he would remember, he said, normally I'm the last person who can remember the detail from matches, but I can remember this one. It was like playing a football match in the middle of a street riot. The match should have been called off. It was crazy. Stones were thrown. Cops hauling people off the pitch. All of us avoiding one side of the pitch where the trouble was at its worst. It was a unique and terrifying experience. So the grimness, I suppose, yeah. of the troubles in the 1970s uh, would make its impact on Dundalk FC again. It's remarkable how football can create those those moments and those ties that are just so unforgettable for all the good reasons. And then occasionally, you know, yin and yang, that they just have to have mm. their, their shade as well as their light. Uh, fabulous stuff as ever, Donald. Thanks a million. Donald Fallon is the author of the Khmer TV blog and books, volume two in all good bookshops now.